What's in my heart was one message. It was on faith. It was three weeks ago. And it just jumped out faith. And as I dove into it two weeks ago to start it out, it just resonated deeper and deeper. And uh, here was the thought that creation on the screen, that creation is how we know God and how faith is known. And we looked at Genesis chapter 1 that we can know God through creation. We looked at Jesus as the God of creation. He's power and wisdom. And today this is a verse. And I'll jump in. I hope it inspires you. Therefore, if anybody, come on, that's all of us, right? If anybody's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things passed away and all things have become new. My thinking when I put this together this week is that our lives are supposed to show the reality of God. If you claim to be a Jesus follower, then there's something about you that should resonate with people who don't know God, that God is real because they watch His reality in you. And, uh, you know, we can take that however we want to take it. Like, that's a lot of pressure on me, but it is the reality. And as I've walk through this and I've thought about faith it makes me say that perhaps one of the reasons that the world is not flocking to this message of Jesus is not because Jesus is not great it's because maybe his followers are not presenting the right thing and so therefore it really doesn't appeal to them otherwise if the message of Jesus is what it says it is it seems like we should be having services seven days a week just to get the message out to people But you know as well as I do, people aren't flocking to church today. As a matter of fact, many churches are failing. Statistically, more churches are closing than starting now. And less people are attending in the history of our, at least our area of Georgia, than ever before. So that's just weird. So that tells me something. Either Jesus isn't who he really says he is, or the message we're giving people is just not that potent. Right? I mean... So my heart has been in this faith journey, how does my life, Mark, how, how does my living appeal to people so that people would say, what's different about you? What do you have that I don't have? What do you know that I don't know? And then hopefully I could say, well, what I know is some, an introduction to somebody that I know and, and I present Christ to them. So here's what I've landed on of, here's the thought. I'll just give you the thought. I think, now this is my opinion, although when I give it, I kind of mean I think it's right. But that sounds arrogant, right? <laughs> Here's my opinion, but it's right. I don't know, right? This is arrogant. I don't mean it arrogant. But it, if it's a thought, it's been in my brain long enough that I feel like it could be potentially true. So if you see thought, that's my head. Christianity is often marketed as need-based. Meaning the way we sell it to people is we, we find needy people and we tell needy people that God is a need-meeting God. Ted Turner, if you remember Ted Turner, you'd have to be a little older, he used to be really popular in Atlanta back in the day. Turner Broadcast, TBN, TBS, billionaire that lives in Atlanta. He made a comment years ago and he said this about Christianity. That Christianity, the religion of Christianity, is nothing more than a crutch for needy people. 
Even people in the world who don't know God understand that Christianity is filled with needy people. Matter of fact, the weaker you are, the better, because if you're weak, I can control you. I need you to stay weak. I need you to keep coming. I need to present Jesus as the need meter. He meets your needs. Because all of us have needs. However, meaningful faith is nature-based. It's on who He is rather than what He does for me. But that doesn't sell tickets. What sells tickets is promising needy people that God will meet the need because immature people need that. I don't mean that mean. I just mean immature is it's, it's the baseline of who God is to people. So, uh, you know, Davis has a need, and I say to Davis, well, God can meet that need. And Davis goes, he can? Yes, Davis, turn to God, and God will meet the need. Davis turns to God, and God meets the need. And Davis goes, oh, God is powerful. But when I've introduced the God of creation as the God that meets his need, the moment God doesn't meet Davis's need, God, Davis starts questioning how powerful God really is. Because you told me he would meet my needs. Where is he? He's not as powerful as you said. You told me he would meet a need. I gave him the prayer. He didn't meet the prayer. My mother died. My father died. My dad left my mom. I got cancer. They died of cancer. You told me he would meet my need. He didn't fix my marriage. My husband left me anyway. And so all these years of presenting a God that will meet the needs of people, you end up with people who start going, but he didn't meet my need. And when the need meeting God doesn't meet the need of the needy people, the needy people begin to question, is it even valuable? Is he really who he says he is? You tell me he's a healer, but. You tell me he's a provider, but. But we need to sell it because that puts hind ends in the chairs. Are you sick? Come, he'll heal you. Are you broke? Come and tithe and he'll meet all your needs. You need a car? Ask him, he'll give you a car. You need a job? Pray, he'll, he'll give you a job. Let the elders lay hands on you and God will fix all your needs. And we're like, yes, yes, yes. And I think that the reason we market it that way is because it appeals to people because we know 90% of all people have needs. So it covers most people. But when you get to the green and you start saying, but meaningful faith is about his nature. It doesn't matter if he ever meets another need or not. Now young people don't amen that. Young people don't know the green God. Young people know the yellow God. He gave me a job. He gave me a car. He got me into college. He healed my back. He brought my dog home. He healed my guinea pig. My goldfish was dead. Flushed him. It swam back up. He's a good God. <laughs> That's okay. God is not, God doesn't have a problem with the yellow need meeting God. But you want me to revolutionize your life. Young people, find you somebody that's about 75 years old. 
that already has the scars and the wrinkles and the chicken neck and the floppy skin and they've got battle scars and they've got prayers that aren't answered. They've buried loved ones. They've prayed through the midnight hour. They have cried with God. They have questioned God and they're still stoic and they still trust Him and they still believe and it doesn't matter if God ever answers another prayer. I know Him. You can't talk the green people out of it. You, you find a yellow person and go, well, God didn't heal your headache. They're like, I know he's not real. He's just not real. You find a, you find a green one and go, God didn't heal my headache. Well, honey, you might want to cut out some coffee. Because it ain't God, right? I mean, you know, they always start with, well, honey. Anytime somebody starts, well, honey, they've been with God a long time. <laughs> you don't even phase them. You be talking about, I prayed to God, he didn't heal me. Well, honey, sit down, have a cup of coffee with them. They will blow your mind because they know a God you don't know. They know the God that's been in war. They know him because they prayed with him in the shower. They talked with him over coffee. He's been in their car. He's been in their dreams. He's been to high school. He's been to college with them. He's been through exams. They've been fired with God. They've been rehired with God. They've been through broken marriages. They buried a loved one. They buried a kid. They didn't get all their needs met. But they're still sitting there like, oh, no, I'm still in the game. Now, just so you know, you don't get to nature-based quickly. You got to be in the game a long time. You got to just earn it. It's one thing preachers can't give you. It's seasoning. We can give you knowledge and scriptures, but we cannot give you seasoning. You just have to earn it. It's why old people look at young people and just go, they're just stupid. <laughs> and yet you think you're brilliant, and we all know you're an idiot. Because your brilliance is on what you know, not what you've earned. So the thing about need base is it's good, it's just really shallow. But nature-based... There's an old hymn. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. Oh, just been with him a long time. You just know him. The power of his resurrection. Now, because that doesn't sell, if I looked at Davis and said, Davis, in 50 years you'll know God, relax. He's like, bro, I need help now. Davis, 30 more years, you won't even care about this prayer. That doesn't sell. The nature-based God doesn't sell to this generation. I need a need-based, quick, hurry, answer. It, it's, it doesn't put hind ends in the seat. So what we do in church to market Jesus is we push all the old people to the... We don't want you to leave because y'all have the money. Thank God for old people who got money. Young people broke, still living in your basement because you got the money. 
But we know old people don't put butts in the seat. So we push you to the back, give you a little group called old people group, keep you quiet. We put all the hip people in skinny jeans and beards. Looks like they hadn't bathed in a month. They have, and old people are like, bless their heart. I, just, I always want to just give them a bath and shave them. Do they not even have an iron? Look at that. My, if my mother saw me in jeans with my knees sticking out, she'd kill me. But the church knows you can't market growth with old people. But they're the ones that have the knowledge of his nature. And this generation has shut them up. We've shut the mothers and fathers up. I really meant it when I said you should find somebody that's been doing it longer than you and just go ask them, can I have coffee with you? Tell me what you know about him. It will change your life. It will change your life. It took me a long time to go from yellow God to green God. I lived yellow God long time. Long time. Mad if he didn't answer prayer, questioning why. I thought he did, but he doesn't. What if? And then somewhere in living, you just have to decide, am I in or out? And then you just go, okay, I'm in. And then it's like, ooh, he's sweet. Mm. Literally, I mean, I'm not trying to preach that. So that's what I want to share with you. That was my introduction. <laughs> I get, I'm, they, they have a clock in the back, and I'm like, I'm never going to make it. <laughs> oh, God, help me. Okay, let me wind it back down. Here's the question. What happens to faith when we market the wrong thing? I think we've been marketing the wrong thing. I think we've been teaching people about a, a God that will meet the needs instead of a God who has a nature that you need to know. And so they're confused. Here's the answer. What happens? We produce weak and confused followers. The church is filled with those people today. Weak. They don't really know what they believe about him confused. They thought he was a healer, but they're sick. They thought he was a provider, but they're broke. They thought he was peace, but they're frustrated. They have anxiety. And they just sit there weak and confused, singing songs. If I just sing louder, it doesn't fix it. The songs don't fix it. And so because we've marketed the wrong... I'm not saying that, that he's not a need-meeting God. I'm just saying we've marketed him poorly. And because of such, we have a generation of weak and confused followers who are just frustrated. They're mad. They're mad at preachers. What the last preacher I had did. They're mad at church people. I just don't like church people. They're just mad at everything. And statistically, only come to church once a month and feel like that's a good thing. Statistically, if you come once a month, you're considered a regular attender. I don't know who keeps those stats. That's pitiful. I come once a month, I'm regular. No, if you pooped once a month, you're not regular. You're backed up. If you're only going to the potty once a month, you're backed up. So you may think you're a regular Christian, but if you're only coming to church once a month, you're backed up. You might still be alive, but something ain't working. I don't know why I went there. And I know how that's going to go down. Tonight on my date, Robin's going to go, really? You had to talk about poop again, really? <laughs> All right, let's jump in. I want to talk to you about 
what happens when we market the need. Rather, ooh, I know where I'm going, and I get touched when I know where I'm going. I just have to reel it in. I'll try to get through it because I already know the end, and I, I get inspired about the end. Amen. I don't like the middle too well, but the end of my sermon is incredible. <laughs> I, I just know where I'm going. It's good. And if you don't amen, I'm quitting. <laughs> All right, now, here's my thought. With every need, don't put it up yet, but with every need that I present to you as a Christian, the world has just as good of an offer to give you. And if I sell the God of the need, you will spend your life trying to balance the world with your Christianity. And you'll be determining which one holds more value just depending on who meets the greater need. If smoking pot takes the peace better than then you'll be a pot smoking Christian. I mean that's how we do it. Amen. Take that. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Did he just say I could be a pot smoking Christian? A preacher said it. I mean before I was thinking about the devil, preacher said I could be a pot smoking Christian. I'm in. I love believers church. <laughs> That's how cults get started, right? <laughs> All right, uh, let's wind it back in, Mark. Let's look at the needs. I feel spunky today. I had a, I had a hard, strong coffee this morning. Go, bye bye. All right, so what we teach Davis, I'm gonna pick on him today. I love him. We tell Davis, Davis has a need, and and I, the world says, Davis, I got you. You need money, Davis, I got you. Whatever you need, Davis. The world will tell Davis whatever Davis needs. I have you. You just need to sell your life, sell your money, get insurance, give me whatever, give me your hours, give me your energy, but I got you. Anything you need. But Christians say, God is I am. Whatever you need, God has you. So if I bring you in the door that whatever you need, God has you, you're always going to have the left hand going, well, the world does too. Because there's going to be a battle for who's in control of the needs, and it's a frustrating Christian life. Here's the first need. Do you need money? Well, the world just says, go to a bank, borrow the money, Take a finance course and get out of debt. The world says, He's Jehovah Jireh. He will provide all your needs. It doesn't matter if you have bad credit. It doesn't matter if you overspend. He is Jehovah Jireh. And everybody in the seat's like, Oh, Jehovah Jireh. Oh, he will provide. But then they repo your car and you wonder why he wasn't Jehovah Jireh. Because he's Jehovah Jireh, they shouldn't repo my car. No, honey, the reason they repoed your car is because you knew him as Jehovah Jireh, but you didn't know the nature of Jireh. And so we fight back and forth, which one provides my needs better? I present that everything I'm going to offer you, you can do without God. You need money, you don't need God. You just need a good finance course. You need somebody to cut your credit cards up and teach you how to spend and teach you how to manage money. But if you're broke, I pull you in the door and go, we're going to have a, we're gonna have a come to Jesus and everybody's going to tithe. And once you start tithing, God's going to meet your need. And then you start tithing 
and immediately on the tithe, blessings come, but you don't know how to manage money, so everything God gives you, you squander anyway and wonder why you're still broke. The third one is this. Needy people need health. But the world will give you doctors and nutrition. You don't need me to pray healing for you. You don't even need God to get healed. Just go to a doctor. Let them work on you. I just need God to heal my blood pressure. Oh, if you'd just pray for me, heal my blood pressure. Okay, he's Jehovah Rapha, the God that can heal blood pressure. But let's just be honest. Your blood pressure has nothing to do with whether he's Jehovah Rapha and everything to do that you're overweight, you don't eat well, you don't take care of yourself. So come on. So the world finds your need for health and they offer you doctors and nutrition. And I'm sitting on the couch watching and watching my favorite show and a commercial comes on. The world's going to let me know they got my back. And it says, do you get up many times during the night and go to the bathroom frequently? And I'm like, yeah. Do you find yourself having trouble falling asleep because you're urinating frequently? Yeah, how, how would they know that? Are you going to the bathroom over 22 times a night? Yeah, God. Wishing you could sleep without having to get up? Wishing you could empty your bladder and have a full empty? Yeah, I mean, that'd make my life. Yeah. And I get my phone out, and I'm like, I need to tell the doctor I need this. And then all of a sudden, about the time they've sucked me in, that I'm going to not pee all night. And I'm like, this is the answer to my God. I've been praying that God had helped me not pee all night for a long time. And now I know my answer. And then I hear, but your hind end's going to leak. And your eyes are going to bug out. And your heart's going to probably stop beating. And I'm like, I don't know. I like peeing now. I might just pee in the bed. I don't. My heart quit beating and my, my hind end leaking. I'd just soon pee the bed. But you know as well as I do, as well as I do, it's easy for me to sell Jehovah Rapha to you than to get you to take care of yourself. And the world knows it. It's, it's a competition. The world is competing with everything God is. The world will compete with Him. Because He wants the, the enemy wants you to devalue who He is. The fourth one is this. Peace. You need peace? No, no big deal. Take medicine. Go to counseling. You don't need God to get peace. Go find you a counselor. Christians can't find counselors because we've told you if you go to a counselor, it's a sign you don't have faith and that you don't really trust God because you trusted God, you wouldn't go to a counselor. That's as dumb as me going, listen, if you trust God, no reason to change oil in your car. Just trust Him. <laughs> you don't need to change oil. Have faith. I give you about 42,000 miles in, you're going to be calling somebody to pick you up. You don't need God for peace. You need Him. You need the world to give you medicine for peace. But if I sell, oh, you need peace, come to God. He's a peace giver. I'm not saying He's not these things. I'm saying we're marketing the wrong thing. We're marketing everything the world can meet for them. And we're trying to compete with, this is He's a big God, but all of this. So I'm not saying he's not those things. I'm saying we're marketing the wrong side of God. Number five. Let's get through them. We've got two more. 
You need wisdom? Okay, good. If you're a Christian, read the Bible. If you're not, go to school. Just read the Bible. You need a better marriage? Read the Bible. But without the Bible, you can get a better marriage. Just go to YouTube. Google how to have a better marriage. 42,000 pages of how to have a better marriage. You don't even need the Bible to have a better marriage. Just Google how to have one. And the world will educate you. The last one, sixth one. You need help? Well, GoFundMe. You don't need God. You need GoFundMe. You got GoFundMe. You've conquered 90% of needing help. I had, I had somebody not long ago going on a, going on a honeymoon, and they, they GoFunded the honeymoon. I was like, I can do that? I could GoFundMe a honeymoon. Right? Because there's all kind of Facebook pages you can join that'll help you. You don't need God. You just need Facebook and friends, and you've got life covered. But we market the Holy Spirit will help you. And then it brought me to think of something. If this is what I'm marketing and the world is competing against it, and I'm having to constantly try to pull people back to the pink, I'm having to constantly try to tell people how powerful he is, how wonderful of a God he is, but the world is competing with him, and we spend our ever-living energy trying to convince people how awesome he is while the world is over here competing with his awesomeness. And we produce weak, anemic, confused people. But here's my thought. When we focus on the fruit of Christianity, it seems the world can offer a great substitute. But what happens when we define the root of our faith? What happens when we go to the very core of our faith? Is there something that God offers that the world cannot meet? If I could find, is there something he offers that the world cannot offer, in that point I will find how valuable he really is. And I'll build off that. Here it is. The nature of God is, here we're going to run through them, is my life ends. And everybody in this room, the moment your life ends, we bury you, we talk good about you, we lie if we have to. We'll get you into heaven whether you deserve it or not. Forty people, you go like, he made it into heaven? Preacher said he did. <laughs> Uncle Bobby made it into heaven. My God, there's hope for us all. Because once your life is over and the world buries you, God does something the world will never do, judge you. Now this is the root of the Christian faith. Before he's a need maker, need, need giver, he's a judge. And this doesn't put butts in the seat. I don't want this God. I want the God that loves me, not judges me. I want the preacher to tell me God loves me regardless. I want to live any hellacious way I want to, and I want to hear the preacher tell me God loves me, no matter who I am or where I'm going. Good, I'm good with that. He does. But rarely do we ever introduce the core of Christianity that the world cannot touch is that when you die, you stand in front of a creator that will judge your life. Amen. And there's no medicine, no doctor, no education, no banker, no finance. Nothing is there with you. You are going to be judged. And I don't like that. 
I don't like to be, oh, don't judge me. Don't, don't even talk about that. I don't want to hear that. I just want to hear that no matter who I am, God loves me. And because of that, no matter who I am, God loves me, we've produced confused, weak Christians. Because we're in love with Him for the wrong reason. We're in love with Him because He loves us. And I love Him. Oh no, you only love Him as long as He performs for you because when He doesn't, you're gone. Because He's a weak God that only loves... It's a weak God who only loves you. But a God that judges you. It's a whole other ballgame. Now I'll show you how powerful this is. Here's the scripture Lucy read. You may think yellow, you can condemn people, but you are just as bad. You have no excuse. And in the pink, all of you in this room should be punished. Me too. You will never know how valuable God is until you land on I should be punished. And this lie of this generation that says, don't judge me, it's a lie. Everybody in this room right now, every one of us, believe that evil should be punished. All of us. I have not met a human yet that doesn't think wrongdoing should be punished. We just define wrong differently, but however I define my wrong, I believe in punishment. Somebody rapes a girl, be punished. You went 55 in a 25, you should be punished. We just believe, if we don't have punishment, even if you go to the Amazon, middle of the jungle, every culture, every culture has, if you do wrong, you get punished. It's built into us that evil needs to be punished. It's our court systems. It's us following Johnny Delp, going, oh, is he going to get punished? Oh, are you following Johnny? Oh, Johnny Delp, oh, my God. Every day, Johnny, Johnny, oh, Amanda, oh, good. Like, we, we feed off of punishment. Two years ago, when they're burning down Seattle and burning down towns in the name of justice, we're about justice. Every injustice should meet the justice. Burn the town down. And we're all like... Because there's something in us humans that believe every unjust action deserves a just reaction. But when you come to church, oh, now you people, you won't be punished. Oh, he loves you. You little snot-nosed children, you. God just, you know, he loves you so much. He loves your little drunken, narcissistic, mean, little rebellious ways. And we're like, oh, thank you. Thank you. Because people love to hear they're loved. There's not one of you in this room that enjoys punishment. I don't like punishment. I like to make excuses for why I shouldn't be punished. next verse though and we know that God in his justice will punish anyone and the reason we know this is true in the blue is because you humans judge each other and punish each other so don't you dare think that the one that created you won't punish you 
So whether you're an atheist and don't believe in God, you've been given a button by God that believes all injustice should be punished. And any time a human believes injustices should be punished, it's a sign that there was a creator that gave that to us. There is a moral code of punishment. So whether you believe he exists, the very nature of injustice should be punished shows you that there's a higher moral order put into humans that evil should be punished. And so God says, if you humans live that way, do you really think in pink you'll avoid my punishment? Are you that self-absorbed that you want to have laws and courts on planet earth, but when you get up into the eternal realm that I don't have a court? That I don't have laws? That when you stand in front of me, I'm just going to go, oh man, you sorry little Mark, come on in. Like if, if something, here's what's weird. You know this is true. This is not even opinion, this is true. It irritates the hound out of you when somebody deserved punishment and they got away with it. Irritates you. God, did you not can't believe they got away with it? Why would it irritate you that somebody who deserved it got punished? Because the Creator put that into humans. It's the base level. And He did it because He wants you to know you hate it when we avoid it here. You think you're going to avoid it there because he loved you so much? Next verse. Oh, God. Yella. You're stubborn, he says. Mark, you're stubborn. You refuse to turn from me. Watch. Oh, blue, this stings. You're storing up terrible punishment for yourself. Some of us got a trash can punishment. There's some of us got like a swimming pool of punishment. There's angels up there probably for some of us digging a pond right now. What are you doing? Hey, Mark's storing up a lot of punishment. I got to be in a bigger hole. My question to you is how big would your hole be if God is storing up your wrong? What, are you carrying around a 16-ounce cup? Or some of you got an 18-wheeler? Or some of you have in the Pacific? I mean, that's the reality of it. He said, watch, you're storing it up. In other words, God's up there looking at your life, and he's got this little canister of all the wrong you're doing. You know, what is that? He's like, that's what Mark's going to face this when he gets up here. That, oh, what are you talking about, God? I'm, I'm down here trying to be good. I'm giving you my money. I'm going to church. I'm doing the church thing. But watch verse 6. Just so you know, he's fair. In the pink, I'm just going to judge all of you. I'm judging every last one of you. There's not a human alive that won't stand in front of the Creator and you are going to be judged by me. I don't care how much you think I love you. I don't, and every parent understands that. A parent be like, I love you. I thought you loved me. If you love me, why are you taking away my phone? You love me. Why are you grounding me? Because your punishment has nothing to do with my love. Your punishment is your stupidity. My love is I didn't kill you. 
So every parent understands this. Next thought, this is the thought. He will give, come on somebody, he will give eternal life. Something shifts here. Because the thing that shifts is God is going to draw a line of demarcation between himself and the world. And the line of demarcation is they can offer you everything but one thing, and the one thing is immortality. I will give Davis immortality. Davis will never die. I will offer Davis that and go, Davis, here is immortality for you. Take it. It is yours. And the world will be like, Davis, we can heal you. Davis, we can give you peace. Davis, we can give you money. Davis, we can give you health. Davis, we can give you a job and a car and a wife and a home and a dog and everything you need. Service, David. And then God goes, Davis, I'll give you eternal life. And Davis has to choose, does he want the wheelbarrow of needs met or does he want this little cup of eternal life? You get to pick. And if I give Davis the wheelbarrow of God meeting his needs, he gets two wheelbarrows and he picks out of both of them his whole Christian life. And he's never really sold out. He's carnal. He's half-hearted. Now watch what God says though. I'm going to pour out my anger when you live for yourself. How many of you have ever lived for yourself? Good, he has anger waiting on you. He's ticked at you. So this thing that God's just giddy, he just loves you. He does, but he's mad. Have you ever met a parent who loves a kid but they're mad? You can see it. It's the parent who has the kid by the arm going out the door like this. And, and you, you, you say, oh, God, they're in trouble. But you never think, oh, they don't love him. You never question that parent's love. You're like, good, he deserved it. That's a snotty-nosed kid. I'm finally glad his parents did it. But you never question that parent's love. I mean, even if the person sitting next to you is not even your kid and they pinch the kid, you're like, he deserved it. Because when you live for yourself, you get anger. Every parent in here has been mad when your children live for themselves. So why are you ticked that God is angry at you? Why, why are you holding him to a different standard than you hold yourself? So it's okay for you to get mad at a disobedient kid, but he can't get angry? It's okay for you to punish your child and take his stuff, but he can't punish you? You see, it doesn't grow churches. It doesn't market well. It's dirty. It's, ugh, it's uh, oh, don't judge me. Here's the thought. The root of Christianity is you deserve punishment, which results in death. But his kindness offers you life. Now, if you want to know whether or not you're ready to fall in love with him, here it is. His justice of punishment he punished himself instead of Davis. And the moment I tell Davis, you know you're guilty, bro. You know your secrets. You know your dark thoughts. You know what you hide. And you know your soul. And you're going to stand in front of this God who has stored all your ignorant, stubborn, rebellious ways up. But he did something for you. He did not overlook it, Davis. He did not say, yeah, I love you, don't worry. He's so potent of a judge 
that he just basically for one minute held a hand off at you in anger and punished himself. He put himself to death for that stubborn boy right there. And every one of you in this room, narcissistic, live for yourself, do your thing. I just want God to bless me. I just want to hear how much he loves me for all of us, me included. He decided it was better to kill himself than kill you. It was better to punish himself than to punish you. He already tried it with Noah. He punished every one of them and nothing changed. He could come down right now and kill us all and be justified in doing it. Because everybody in the room's got a reason you could be punished. But he holds off not because he is like uh, overlooking your sin. He holds off punishing you because he already punished the punishment that needed punishing on himself. And we give that to you as Jesus, watch, David, you, you can have the Jesus who took your punishment or the Jesus that helps you get into college. The Jesus that gives you a job and puts gas in your car. The Jesus that heals your headache or do you want the Jesus of immortality? Pick. And if I market the wrong Jesus to Davis, I get a weak Christian who wonders where his power and value is. But when I give Davis one thing, an offer of immortality because his punishment has been put on Christ and he says yes to the punishment, I'll never be able to talk that boy out of God. That boy will walk with him, talk with him, live with him, and somebody will sit down and say, well, he didn't answer your prayer. And David will be like, he don't even have to answer my prayer. He has, he has taken my punishment. My love for him is not based on a prayer. My love for him is not based on my headache. My love for him is not based on a shrinking prostate. My love for him is that he took my punishment. And he owes me nothing else but that. And when a Christian comes to that, I serve him because he took my punishment. Oh, Lord, they are stoic. Well, you know, he, you prayed you'd get that car, and they repoed it. <laughs> I don't care repoed a car. It ain't why I serve him. I walk barefooted. I don't care. He took my You understand what I'm saying? I just think we've offered the God of love filled with a bunch of toys Filled with a bunch of giddiness. Filled with a bunch of, he doesn't really care who you are. Here you go, whole wheelbarrow, Davis. Just go play in the sand with all the toys God gives you. And then wonder why he won't come to church. Why he struggles all the time. Why he's half in, half out. But if I just simply go to him and say, hey, Bo, forget about wheelbarrows. You get one thing. Here it is. It's eternal life. Do you or don't you want immortality forever? And when you stand in front of him... And he pulls out a wheelbarrow, a bucket, a 55-gallon drum. And you're like, oh. And then all of a sudden, an entire dump truck of 55-gallon drums. And then an 18-wheeler of 55. And then a train comes by with 480 cars. You're like, what's that? He's like, that's all your crap. I've been storing it up for years. 
Wait a minute, that's all, that, that, that train is me? Oh, it's every thought you've ever had, every word, it's your rebellious ways, it's your stubbornness. I've stored it all up for you. That's me? Yeah, that's you. Oh my God. Why did you, I should be punished for this. Yeah, yeah, I just wanted you to see it. Well, what are you going to do with it? Oh, nothing. Like I don't have to deal with it? Oh no, we're going to ship it on out. How can you ship it on out? I mean, oh my God, that's every thought I've ever had. That's every stupidity. Yeah, that's everything. Mark, from your birth to your death, that's you, Mark. Well, well, well then why? Hang on a minute. Son, come here a minute. Turn around, son. You see all this, Mark? Yes, sir. That's your train, boy. That's your train. Now, Mark, yes, sir. Come on in, son. Well done. Good and faithful servant. And, and <laughs> not a dad blame one of you in this room would ever feel like you were worthy to get in if he showed you your train. There's not a one of you in this room that would stand there going, I think I should get in. No, because when they bring your goodness, it's a matchbox car. People are like, hang on, I got your goodness, Mark. Here. That's it? Uh, every one of you, me included, no, you don't deserve to be in front of him. You don't deserve to get in. He has, He's stored up every wrong. And yet, because of his love, his, not just love, his love was his punishment. That's what you got to get. His love isn't that he overlooks you. His love isn't that he just goes, I'm giddy about you. His love was that he punished himself. So when you think God loves me, never separate it from punishment. His love is not his giddiness. His love was his justice. He punished himself. That's his love. Here's the conclusion. That almost felt like a Baptist sermon, didn't it? <laughs> Preaching hell. He's going to go to hell. Oh, man, I love this. I just love this. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for my sin. And I'm made right with Him now because Jesus sacrificed His life. Please, young people, don't ever, ever, ever separate His love from sacrifice. Do not ever believe that His love is His giddiness. His love was His punishment. And then it says this, and this shows God is fair. He's fair because He didn't punish Davis, He punished Himself. But He's fair because He punished Himself final is this for God demonstrated all this to show you that he's fair and he's just but he will make Mark right in his sight when he believes in Jesus oh I love the orange I've been acquitted Whew. my faith acquitted me my faith keeps my train going my faith says you're forgiven my faith says come on in son my faith said, punishment accepted. Oh, when I come there, it makes 
It makes me love him even more. It makes me appreciate him even more. It makes me go, what do you, instead of do for me, it makes me go, what can I do for you? What can I give back to you? What do you want? You got all of me because I didn't deserve any. You see, it shifts the whole narrative. Here's the conclusion. There's all the things the world offers, all the things we say God is. But number seven, a red line has been drawn because once you face death, the only thing humans can do is bury you. But here's what's weird. The only thing God can do is woo you. The only thing God can do is woo you. God cannot make you serve Him. If God could make you serve Him, He would make everybody serve Him now. And the weirdness, you go, I don't know why God allows evil. Because the reason evil happens is because if he stopped evil, he would have to force good. And y'all know, we don't, God can't force you to do good. God can't force you to choose him. Otherwise, if he could force you to choose him, everybody would choose him right now. So how does God compete with the blue? How does God compete? How does he get his value into you? How does he woo Davis to choose him? I simply tell Davis, you deserve to be punished. But then I introduce Davis to this scripture. Oh, this is so good. Watch the scripture. Don't you see, Davis, how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God has been with you? Come on, everybody in the room. Oh, he's been patient with you. He's waited on you. you. You've made bargains with him and lied. You ask him to do things that you would do, but you didn't. You, you give him half-hearted effort, but he's patient. The punishment has already been made. I'm not even mad at you anymore. My anger is already... I'm just sitting here with my arms open. And every time you turn your back, every time you lie, every time you say, it's going to be my patience and my tolerance and my kindness. And then he asks what I think is the weirdest question to ask a human. Does this not mean anything to you? That I'm tolerant, I'm kind, I'm patient? Because what I'm trying to do in my kindness is turn you to me. Because when you turn to God because you know you should be punished and you turned not because you're afraid of hell but you turned because he was punished for you it's just a sweet life of following him it's worthy to be followed here's the conclusion it's a weak faith that focuses on the fruit of my needs but a resilient faith that focuses on the root of his nature and I pray you never forget it When you hear Jesus loves you, I want you to put together punishment with love. And when you start there, your faith with God becomes resilient. Because when your headache doesn't get healed, you're okay to take a Tylenol. It doesn't mean he's any worse of a God because I start from the nature of who he is. And then everything else about him becomes real to me. He becomes Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha. Stand with me and let me pray for you.